It's John Richards, a cut above horror review, episode number 31. We are talking about, well, Sinister from 2012. Actually considered one of the most scariest movies of all time. So give this a listen and let us know what you think. Episode number 31, a cut above horror review, Sinister 2012. It starts right now. Boo! Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host Jacqueline and tonight we will be discussing the film Sinister from 2012. But first, let's meet everyone else on the show. First up, it's Hydraberg. How you doing? (laughs) That's my sinister laugh. That was very sinister. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on, guys? Nothing much, nothing much. Glad to be here on another Monday night with you fellas. Oh, yeah. Yep. You surviving the cold weather all right? Yeah, yeah. We had a blizzard here in Nor'easter, but it, it wasn't as bad as I anticipated. But, it, you know, it was decent. All right. Some places right. got like t- like 18 inches. Some areas, not as much. But Oh, man. That's that's a lot of snow. Yeah. <laughs> I had to work the day of it, too. So. Oh, my God. I was like one of the few people that even showed up. <laughs> and we got to go home early, so it wasn't so bad. That's a dedicated man right there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And next up, we've got John. What's going on, John? What's up, Jacqueline? How you been? I know it's nice and warm down in Florida. Oh, no, you guys are getting frost down there. You guys have uh, iguanas falling out of trees. <laughs> it's true. We do. We do. But I I've, I find it pleasant. So I'm I'm not complaining. And uh, if it gets too cold, I just have an excuse to go inside and drink a warm beverage and watch a horror movie. So <laughs> win-win. Isn't yeah, that one yeah. of the signs of the apocalypse? I think it's like locusts, uh, iguanas falling out of <laughs> <Yeah>. trees. <laughs> I think so. Hey, Hydraberg, and, and real quick, I want to give you props, man. You have done a fantastic job. Not, not, not embarrassing you, but man, you, you look fantastic. You, you've been getting in great shape. So keep oh, it up. We're, we're proud of you, brother. Thank you. Those of those oh, of you listening, that. you can't you can't see Hydraberg right now, but basically, he's ripped. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm dude, getting ripped. No, you are getting in fantastic shape, and I mean that with all sincerity, man. Just I appreciate keep, it, man. You're keep, in fucking good shape too, man. Um, I got a haircut. Nice that's why. No, no, I've seen you. I've seen you. <laughs> it's an illusion. You were getting it in before it I is. started. Too, the, so. the, the haircut gives the illusion that I'm actually in shape now. So I appreciate it. I do. I, I've been I, uh, I've been working hard at it. So. I know, I know you have it, and, and again, I want to give you props. And again, I'm not trying to embarrass yeah. you, but man, you did a fan. You're doing a fantastic job. Keep it up, and uh, appreciate it. Chicks are going to be knocking on your door, there, buddy. Oh yeah, there's only one or two that I really have my eye on. So. I know we won't talk about that because then he's, you get you turn really red, and then all of a sudden you start laughing. Let's just say <laughs> he's See, no like player. that. Oh, he's he's shy. He he blushed. Well, in other news, let's hear mm-hmm. some horror news. Horror news. So the, I've only got so the Hydraberg st- can get over his. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> so he can wipe his face okay. off with the sweat because he, he was so embarrassed. Uh, two things this week. A new trailer dropped for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, we got to talk about that. OK, this is set up to be 50 years later after after the original movie. So, again, this is like one of those movies where they completely forget about everything that they fucking talked about, like in between. Mm -hmm. So it's 50 years later. They're bringing back Sally. It's coming out on Netflix February 18th. Are we excited about this movie? Have you seen the trailer? The new one? I did. I watched it. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does everybody think about the trailer? There's some aspects to it that are interesting. Um, 
it looks like it's shot really well. Uh, it just, I don't know, 50 years later, it just seems like a really long time to pass by for this to have a sequel. It does seem that way because it's like, okay, we're, we're staying within the, like the real life timeline since the same film. And so yeah. we're supposed to think that Leatherface, I mean, he's got to be at least 70, 80. right? Yeah, I mean, it's been like, what, 50 years since the original, yeah. almost 50 yeah. years. Uh, and so if yeah, we assume 50. at the bare minimum, I mean, what do you think is the youngest he could have been in the original? Yeah, film? He looked like, like a 30 year old man. And he the did. Movie. I thought he could have been like a 40 something. So yeah, he's got to be at least in his 70s. And that's being like conservative, I think. So it's I, like, how scary is that? Like yeah. a geriatric septuagenarian being uh, being a cannibal. Maybe that helps, like, you know, make your young. life a little longer. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you young, youthful. You munch on a thigh bone. You're good. Yeah, you know that, that that keeps you healthy, I, I suppose. What do no, you think I, of the I, Sally character? She's like a Laurie Strode type. That's exactly that's what, what I thought. That's what it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like. Like, like you're taking the same formula that that the Halloween 2018 did. Forty years later, and it's like, I've been waiting for this night. Oh my god! I mean, it's just like now she's like a warrior, kind of like ven- avenging warrior. I did like that. I, I did like in the trailer that every but everybody busted out a cell phone to take a picture of Leatherface on the yeah. bus. That bus thing. Yeah. Uh, that was that was kind of humorous <laughs> to me. But I just get this vibe that that okay, so we're going to take a a you know legendary horror movie, and we're just gonna forget everything that was in between. We're just gonna make a a, a reboot sequel right after that. So if you guys hear some noise, for we, Halloween. I, 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 I live near a, a, a Marine base, so you'll hear jets flying by and stuff mm, like mm-hmm. that. So, so apologize. No, I just get that vibe of Halloween 2018. And, you know, if it if it's successful on Netflix, they're going to try to milk this for all it's worth and they'll make mm-hmm. a second one and a third one or whatever. So I'm kind of glad it's just a Netflix feature so I could just watch it at home because I don't think I yeah. get to see it. Yeah, that, exactly. It is very accessible. So yeah, you don't have to r- run out and watch it at the theater. So I personally like the second movie. I know it's a little I different vibe wise from the first one. I'm with you too. Right I, I, I actually really enjoyed the second one. You know, yeah. Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. and you know yeah. the, the the freaking chainsaw Phil scene. Was, yeah, exactly. Chop top, chop like top, a great character. legendary, my BFF. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. If you look at the Twitter, aren't we getting him on the show soon? Oh, definitely. We might yeah. actually. Oh, I mean, Bill. He yeah. does respond oh, yeah. on, on Twitter yeah. a lot. Yeah. Hey, Bill, he, yes, come on. on. We can't pay you anything, but you know. <laughs> he's got nothing else going on. Come on, buddy. <laughs> I, I actually think he's like one of the hardest working actors out there. He's yeah, always so in something. But uh, so, I mean, about Texas. So, yes, I do love Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. But in regards to this this re- remake sequel 50 years later thing, I I'll, I'll go into it with an open mind. I'm. I'm a little skeptical, but I don't want to like slam my mind shut on it prematurely. I think one of the things I'm really going to be looking for and hope that they get right is the feeling that the original gives me in terms of like a dark kind of dirty, gritty, hyper reality that like you almost feel like you're watching a home movie kind of like yeah. the Henry portrait of a serial killer. The, the, the original Texas Chainsaw kind of gives me that vibe as well. And I don't want to see it look too slick and glossy. Yeah, you don't want it polished. You, I you see a little bit of both in the trailer. 
Yeah. I see aspects of gritty, but also it does look very polished too. Like I want to see, I want to feel that hot Texas dry sun. And, you know, I want to feel like there's dirt kind of everywhere in the air and you don't get that isolated. Yeah. You don't get the vibe from the trailer though, because they show a lot of rain. They show a lot of like, like it's, it's raining in Texas at that time. I mean, did you notice that where it's, and you know, leather faces, uh, I don't want to get too much. You know what we need to do? We need to review it. We got to do it at some point. I'm down. Okay. I'm down. Cool. Yeah. Let's think about it. We'll talk about it. We'll get it figured out. Uh, the only other bit of news that we have is Hocus Pocus 2 has its release date sometime in October of 2022, which is going to be, uh, you know, I guess Halloween season. It is in post-production at wrapped filming. So excited about this. What? No, yay, nay. Uh, I, I'm sorry to be blunt, but I could not care less about that. <laughs> I just don't care at all. Um, full disclosure, I have actually never seen Hocus Pocus. And but, full disclosure, <laughs> neither have I. I know there's some people who would just like crucify me for that, but it just um, wasn't something I grew up with. And as an adult, it seems like a little cutesy and just, I don't know. It's, I'd rather just spend my time. With the Yabos. I have my own Yabos. I don't need somebody else's. <laughs> yeah. What? There are, well, that's just where that term came from. I know. I know. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, Hydroberg, I've never seen it. Jacqueline's never seen it. Oh, you've and... never seen it either? No, I never have. Holy shit. I, I'm a Look, I don't hold of... it up like a high guard. I mean, it's, it's a cute, like you said, it's a fun movie maybe it's, for the kids or something it's a good right? movie to watch it's a, around it's a disney season. movie right yeah i believe so i think disney bought it i don't know if or disney produced yeah. it originally i'm not really sure but... i don't think there needs to be a sequel no but even I... people who i know love the first hocus pocus even they a lot of them don't seem terribly excited about this it kind of seems like doomed to not satisfy anyone so i don't know i, I don't feel optimistic about this one's performance but i don't know maybe i'm wrong i have literally no dog in this fight so well, I'm a big fan of Mick Garris, and he's the guy that directed oh. it. So uh, okay. he has well, that post- makes me feel better about it. He, he has a uh, podcast called Postmortem with Mick Garris. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy his podcast, but mm. I guess the history behind this movie is that the studio just really did not promote it and it failed at the box office, but it's become kind of one of these. I don't know, I guess family must watches during the Halloween yeah, season. Classic. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you would call it that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, but it is a family-oriented film, what, if you use the word yabos, and kids are going, <laughs> what are yabos? Well, I think it was early enough. Like, wasn't it kind of like early 90s? And I feel like you could get away I with think, a lot of stuff yeah. with a PG rating in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on these, like, remakes. Or not remakes, but, like, sequels to movies, like, 20, 30, 40 years after the original. I mean, every once in a while, you get one that hits, like Blade Runner. For me, it was really good, but mm-hmm. that wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. I really like even Halloween 18. I think, you know, it has its charms. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the people that like the series, yeah, they seem to really enjoy yeah. the 2018. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's all the news I had. I, I found two interesting stories and, you know, we had a good discussion I, about it. So I'm I don't glad. have news, but I have a recommendation. I watched the show on Netflix, um, Archive 81. Mm-hmm. It's about eight episodes. Um, it's got a it's got a pretty cool vibe to it. Um, What's it about? James What's Wan- the premise? James Wan is one of the producers. Hmm. The premise is a little, it's a little weird. It's like, there's this woman who was in this hotel. I'm in this um, apartment building and there was like a fire in it. 
And there's like videotapes documenting some of the stuff that happened during that time. And then there's this other gentleman now in the present who's charged, given a job by this like mysterious kind of guy that's like to go through these old tapes and restore them. Right. And they're sort of like beta on like a VHS tape or like small uh, video recorder tapes. So that's his specialty is like audio and video and stuff like that. So he goes to this like uh, location in the woods where he's sort of just uh, uh, isolated and he has to like restore these tapes. But as he's restoring them, there's like a blending of realities between the tapes and what he's seeing and his reality. And there's like a, a real creepy, I, it just does some really creepy atmospheric stuff um, that I really enjoyed. And it, it's sort of like a mystery too, as it unravels. It does, you know, it's not like, it's not like the best show I've ever seen, but I definitely recommend it. It's sort of like a longer episode of Black Mirror. Nice. That's, that sounds it's very like, interesting yeah, in to premise, me. In the premise itself, it's, and it deals with like, I don't want to spoil too much, you know, but it just, it deals with like this sort of like a cult or something like thing going on in the hotel, in the um, apartment building. And it's interesting. I recommend yeah, it. The way you described it, it sounds really interesting to me. What's it called again? Agent Archive 81. Archive. Okay. Archive 81. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Where, where is it? On found? Netflix. Netflix. Nice. Rad. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks for the, the tip. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Johnny, I almost said that and I was like, no, that would be stupid. <laughs> and then you said it. It's Hyderberg. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Hyderberg. it is. My bad. <laughs> Hyderberg, you chose this film Sinister for us to review this week. Would you care to share why? Absolutely. Um, I saw this film in 2012. No, I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it at my buddy's house. Hmm. Uh, we put it on one night and I don't know. It stuck with me ever since. I just remember it being something different around that time. I, I wasn't as into horror as I am now, but it was definitely one of those films that like, oh, wow, like, you know, horror movies have come a, a long way. There's some different stories out there. I remember just the, the premise itself sticking with me and um, the ending. I'm not going to spoil anything yet, but just and just the um, I don't know, like the, like the premise of the movie, the home videos and stuff like that just is different. And uh, I like Ethan Hawke, too, a lot. So I really like him in this. And uh, right. I just thought it would be a good review. Cool. All good reasons. I'm glad yeah. you chose it. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it with you guys tonight. Good. Uh, before we drop the spoiler warning, let's determine whether this film fucks or sucks. Hyderberg, what do you think? Uh, for me, this movie fucks, and it tapes it like a sex tape on 8 millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very lewd and lascivious there. <laughs> Johnny, what do you think? Does this film fuck or suck? Oh, man, this uh, this movie fucks like friends with benefits. You don't love it, but you want to go back every single week or every single day to go back to it. So, yes, this movie fucks. How about you, Jacqueline? What do you think? <laughs> I definitely think it fucks. I didn't come up with any clever sexual metaphor there. but Damn it. <laughs> You're the one that comes up with the best oh, this ones. Is the Come sexy on. part of the podcast. It is. I'm sorry. I'm sleep deprived and not feeling particularly <laughs> sexy right now. But <laughs> Well, if you could see behind the scenes, guys, she's looking sexy. Oh, well, thank oh, yeah. you. For, and my husband's shirt and no makeup and unwashed hair, but um, super hot. Yeah. But so yes, hot. <laughs> this film definitely fucks. Um, this film is a lot sexier than I am. So there you go. 
All right, we're going to drop the spoiler alert. We're talking about Sinister from 2012 in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, make sure you pause the podcast. Go watch it. Pretty much any streaming service that you want to get it on. And free then come, on Tubi, I think. Free on Tubi, free yeah, on Shutter. Amazon too. also. And oh, Shutter. So uh, make sure you pause oh, the podcast. Come back and find out what we thought about it. So there we go. All right. I cannot wait to hear this reach around. Okay. <laughs> you got it? I'm ready. Sweet. The reel is rolling. The film begins to crackle. A family tied down with makeshift shackles. A video recorder rolling on their desks. Captured on celluloid are their last breaths. A child left behind to service Bagul. A writer consumed with fame makes decisions like a fool. His family now in jeopardy once he's seen its face. A pagan demon from long ago wants to take his place. Moving into that home sealed his family's fate. He moved them out, but by then it was too late. He thought they were sound and safe. He got a little boozy. Sip after sip, he felt a little woozy. Now he's got his fame. A star in his own home movie. Ooh. Damn, that was so Very good. That nice. was so clever. Yeah, it was. These are just getting better and better. I'm not even kidding when I say that we should like self-publish a book of these. I just collect, collect It'll all be on of the them. Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think we should do. I like it's. They're just so clever. I, I'm I'm really impressed. I don't I don't feel like after, I could come up with those kind of rhymes. After episode 100, we'll have a book of Hydroberg's reach around plot synopsis. All right. I, I think we should. Because well, I, I, I agree. I miss that. Like, I don't have access to them and I want to like, re- I want to be able to like too. revisit them. No, I want a book. Do you think okay. that that the filmmaker took a little inspiration for the, uh, uh, what's his name? Bagul? Bagul? Bagul, yeah. Bagul? From Slipknot, I mean, I mean, with the utmost sincerity, the the guy looks like one of the characters from Slipknot. I have trivia on that, actually. Would you oh, like to hear shit. it? Yes, yeah, so let's. let's it I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, it's okay. I I actually prefer sprinkling the trivia throughout the episode, so that it's not just like a big info dump at the yeah. end. I kind of like bringing it up when it when it's relevant. When so it's yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't read it, it or I try not to read any of that stuff before we do the review. It just I like the band Slipknot, but it just seemed like one of those bass guitar player guys like the face. Go ahead, Jacqueline. I'm sorry. So what I learned when I was researching trivia on this is that the the look of the pagan deity Bagul actually was inspired by um, Scott Derrickson, the director he just did a Google search, a Google image search for the word horror and combed through literally 500,000 images, he claims, mm-hmm. 500,000 images and finally settled, he narrowed it down to like, I don't know, 15 different images that he thought he could use as kind of like the appearance for Bagul. Okay. And he finally landed on one that was just tagged Natalie. And it was an image that he basically, he bought the rights for this image for $500. And then kind of like, I think he like manipulated or adjusted it a little, but basically that image is the basis for the appearance of Bagul. I don't know who Natalie is or where that image came from, but that's where it came from. He was just looking for inspiration on Google and found this image. Now the symbol that was used like on the wall, that was like painted on the walls here and there, I believe he came up with that symbol after researching like Norwegian black metal bands Mm. and their kind of like iconography that they use in their, you know, presentation. Uh, And so that was inspired by like metal bands, not no mention of Slipknot, but 
that's funny you mentioned that. that, John, because like one of my critiques is that he's I don't know, his like design to me, it's not very inspiring. Like as you look when you look at it, um, because I thought he looked like Jack White a little from the White. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of like a little generic looking like I think it's effective. They use it very effectively in the film. Yeah. <laughs> But, I'm sorry, but every time I see this movie now for the rest of my life, I'm going to be thinking yeah, about because Jack he's sort of like dressed. You're going like, to think of One Nation Army. <laughs> like the, the long hair, it's a little greasy looking. He's got sunken in eyes, right? That's the scary part. But then he's got kind of like like just a regular white dress shirt. It looks like on and like a you know a jacket. I okay, but I. I I'm, I'm sorry, but I couldn't disagree with you more about the look being generic. I think it's like very memorable and unique. it is like the first time i i mean the first time i saw this movie his appearance really stuck in my mind i mean it was like a few years until i watched it for the second time and it but i still remembered exactly what he looked like i found it very like i don't know searing kind of a if searing they didn't image. fuck up the sequel i think they could have made a series out of this well here's the thing i watched the sequel also and i think that affects my score a little bit on this one really okay yeah, I, I, I think it, it's an iconic look. You know, it's a mix between everything. I love the fucking fact that Vincent D'Onofrio was in this and it was via like what we're doing right now. You know, yeah, we're doing awesome. via video chat and it's like he was in this movie. And I, I just love the fact that he played that character of the professor of, you know, giving this information to Ethan Hawke's character of what well, his name was Ellison, right? Yeah. yeah. Ellison okay. Oswald. Yeah, so so you know, uh, Ethan Hawke was a uh, you know Stephen King type, but but uh, true crime, true crime, but man, Vincent D'Onofrio was in this, and his lines were delivered perfectly because he was so straight laced, and it's just anytime I see that guy in a movie, I'm gonna watch it. Same here. He's one of my. He's just an actor that I always love to see, no matter what. I mean going back to like full metal jacket oh, in God. the late 80s. I mean, that's just, I think that's his like, I mean, not to tie maybe into this movie, but I think that's his legacy is that film. But maybe we should cover the cell, cell one day. You guys ever see that? I haven't seen that. It's been you a long seen the cell time with Jennifer since Lawrence? I've seen that. I mean, Jennifer Lopez. Lopez. I was going to say, is that Jennifer Lopez? Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very Actually, interesting film. I- I did watch the Daredevil Netflix series and he played yeah, uh, Kingpin or whatever his mm-hmm. name is. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. I mean, the, the um, guy's such a character actor that that it's awesome to see him in anything. Love so. him. Back real quick to the look of uh, Bagul. The thing that I like the most about it is when he's not just in the forefront, like when he's when he's in the shadows or when he's in the digital images. That's when I think he's the most effective and scary. Agreed. You know I mean? like, Total when, agree. Yes. Yeah, when he turns, when his face turns in that oh, one fuck. scene. <laughs> Or yeah. like just, you know, he pops up all of a sudden in the bushes and then he's gone. They they made Those fun the of that in one of the scary movie movies Did too, they? right? I don't remember. Later than that, because scary movie two would have been still touching. No, well, one of these it was like scary, scary movie five or four yeah, or whatever it was. Like it, it was just like like it was so iconic of of him doing that on the laptop, you know, which was yeah. cool. And this movie still holds up because it does have this kind of technology to where you didn't feel like well, I'm way behind on this. And this is 10 years ago. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so can we talk about the videotapes? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So I, like I think that's one of, sorry. I just like the opening, how it gets starts with the video, like the first videotape, right? And yeah, I think that's on. a really great way to hook the audience's attention because yeah. it's very, I mean, I, I can't think of another movie that begins that way. 
Um, but I think it's like a very eerie and startling way to start out the movie. And then for me, at least, it makes me very curious to know what this story is going to be about. Yeah. And then it just cuts them moving it on moving day. And you're just like, wait, what? What was that mm-hmm. all about? Mm-hmm. And not too I- long after that, you see the same tree in the backyard. Yeah. And you're like, OK, <laughs> this is where we are. And the sheriff gives him that little dig, too. He's like, he points at the house. He's like, you know, this is, I don't. It's a very poor taste. Yeah, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, yeah, I got to say the acting in this movie was so rad and consistent. It didn't feel fake. I felt, I I felt the chemistry of the family, you know. Yeah, even their uh, marriage. Yeah. uh, You know, of the wife really supporting this guy and just, you know, letting him do his thing. But you know, you feel the tension, you feel the love, and it's just, I don't know, there there was some consistency with the family that, that felt really, really good. I And bringing up the tree thing at the beginning is the fact that the branch was still falling over, and they, they did not they cut, cut that down. Right. It's like still yeah. a crime scene, just, just like, <laughs> just for sale. Yeah. So I, I agree with you about the acting, John, and I feel like the one of the reasons it works really well, first of all, I think that they had a really high caliber of actor in this film. Like, I think there were good casting choices here. I think Ethan Hawke in particular really, like, committed to this role. I feel like he, as an actor, he could have taken it less seriously and come off almost as, like, silly or not believable, but I feel like he took it seriously and and committed to it. And that is why I think that character works. And I think that's why we care about what's going on, not just on the like the supernatural side about like this crime that he's trying to solve and why that's intriguing to us, but also the family dynamic and mm-hmm. the struggles and tension that's going on amidst the whole family. And the, the actress who plays the wife as well, um, I feel like she really committed i have a lot of thoughts about their relationship um we can maybe get to that later but but as an actress i think that she um she creates a very relatable believable character and also comes off as like fully committed to this role well you got to keep in mind that blumhouse doesn't spend a lot of money on production you know they keep it like very low budget and to get an actor like Ethan Hawke, you know, to be your star of the movie. You know, and he was in pretty much every scene of the movie. And then you mm-hmm. get a guy like Vincent D'Onofrio that says, yeah, I'll do via chat, you know, pay me a couple hundred bucks, whatever it is, is that, the, you know, it felt authentic. I actually want to go back to something you said, Jacqueline, about their relationship, because there was some things mentioned, but never really explored mm-hmm. as far as like the fracture in their relationship, because there was, there was something mentioned of like, well, I hope that it's not like the last place we lived, you know, when he was writing the previous book. So let's go into that. I I, I, I thought it was good because it, it was like it kept you questioning on why are these people still together? However, this woman stays strong with this guy that, yeah. you know, on the verge of alcoholism or whatever it is, you know, she really bit, loves him. You can tell mm-hmm. yeah, he's really dedicated to her family. And every like, time he does a new book. They move to a new town and then they have to like readjust. And then they're like black sheeps of the town, basically. Like she has to deal with that with the kids all the time while he writes his book. So she really deals with like cleaning up everything, the mess, you know, of that situation. I feel like a lot of stress is probably on her. 
What was the book called? Was it called uh, Kentucky Blood or something yes. like that? Yeah, big Kentucky one, Blood. Yeah. That was that was the big one from what, like 15 years ago, 10, 10 years ago, 10, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she almost comes off as like a little bit of a martyr, mm-hmm. uh, like kind of the long suffering wife who yeah. kind of just endures everything that he's putting the family through for the sake of his career. And that's kind of its own topic, but it's like, it feels like he's sort of churning or, or or like treading water or even sinking a little bit because his his big hit Kentucky I keep wanting to say Kentucky Rain because the Elvis song but Kentucky Blood uh, was such a hit ten years ago and he's never been able to match that level of success yeah, and it feels it. like this is becoming an obsession for him is to regain that fame and one of the comments I wanted to make about that is I feel like this film is sort of commenting on the the danger of any person really wrapping their self-worth up in their level of like professional success or their level of fame specifically um that it's like people in the public eye I think feel or a lot of people in the public eye feel a lot of pressure to remain relevant in a world that basically like chews them up and spits them out even Mm -hmm. writers like you wouldn't even necessarily think that writers have to deal with that as much as like actors or you know, other kind of super famous people, but, but I think they do. And I think that this film is like sort of highlighting the dangers of that and how sad it is and unhealthy for your own sense of self-worth. Yeah. You see him when he watches that um, older interview of himself mm-hmm. and he's asked like, what feels better, the justice or the book bit your book being at number one. And he says the justice, which I think the him from then might've meant that, right. He's younger and like more of a novice, but the older him watching that interview knows that that's a fucking lie because he's been chasing the fame. And especially yeah. this, he has the moment where he he watches the second tape. He picks up the phone to call the police and he seems genuine. He's going to do it. Then he looks at Kentucky blood on the on the shelf mm-hmm. and he hangs up. And that was a turning point. He hadn't seen Bagul yet. His family was still not. They weren't in danger yet. Right. Once yeah. you see Bagul, that's it. That starts it down the, like down that road. He could have turned around and, and fixed everything, but he didn't, you know, because he was. Well, he and his wife had that conversation of yeah. <clears throat> uh, where it's, things are starting to turn around and things are starting to like get really freaky for them. And he has that conversation. It's like, this is going to be the big one. You know, or we're talking movies. We're talking uh, interviews and all this other kind of stuff. So that old, you know, uh, guy that's chasing fame comes back out. You know, but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it grabs a hold of the family. And then, you know, he, he he makes this really nice character arc later in the movie. Realize he's fucked at the end. So, yeah. Well, Hyderberg, going back to what you mentioned a minute ago about him watching the old tape. And at the time he said the justice feels better. I think I think you could kind of argue both sides of whether he really meant that or whether he was just kind of blowing smoke. But I think that he at least partially did mean that. And I think it's because it's easy to say the fame doesn't matter when you have it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you lose it, then you realize how much it meant to you. And then you're sort of always chasing after that, trying to get that high again. Right. I I, I actually didn't feel that when when he was watching that that old tape from 10 years ago of being on the talk show. I I felt that he was more chasing the fame because he he paused. He he did this Mm -hmm. really good, good acting thing. And I love the fact that they did the the separation of him 10 years ago. Like, he, you know, he's got his hair combed over and he has no goatee 10 years ago. And he goes, um, 
the justice, you know, just kind of like that's the answer he has to give. Like, like he's not like bullshit. Like nobody's gonna he, say oh, exactly like, right. I being that, famous. That, you know? That's how I picked it up. And like, because they cut back to his face in present time, where he's watching this, is like, man, you were so full of shit back then. <laughs> now yeah. it's real. You know, you have yeah. a family because they also brought up later in the in the movie of him talking about, well, yeah, you want to have a family. You see people with kids, and I want to have that. I yeah. think that was sincere. I, yeah. I do too. I do too. He loves his family. He's just so wrapped up in his work. He just yeah. loses sight of what's important. Well, but, but here's the thing. Okay. So this is, this is kind of the other side of that. Like, yes, we can see how it's really unhealthy to place your self-worth on like external validation from other mm-hmm. people. But on the other side of that coin, I think that it's not unreasonable to, derive like personal fulfillment from your work i think most people to a certain degree want to have that um like and and to get personal here for a minute i've been thinking about this a lot anyway for myself because i am a stay-at-home mom now i have three small kids before that i was you know a working woman and i derived a lot of satisfaction from my career as a teacher i don't have that right now Hmm. and i struggle a lot. And I think a lot of mothers do who are stay-at-home moms who used to work. It's like, you feel like your only purpose is to raise your children. And that, yes, by all accounts, like that is immensely rewarding and fulfilling as well. And some women, they, I think that they, that's, that's all that they need and they don't feel the urge to have um, any kind of like, they don't feel the need to seek fulfillment from any other source. But there are other women who feel like they do, like they, they want to have something else in their lives that just belongs to them. And that is rewarding for them as individuals that isn't, you know, a role that is just relying on somebody else. You know, if you're a wife and a mother, it's like, that's your, your role is kind of relative to some other person, whereas your work is, is for you, you know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Well, here's the and thing so, is- Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, Jacqueline. Well, so just to kind of wrap it up, I, I, I also empathize with Ellison in this film because he, I mean, let's like set this, the fame aspect of it aside. I believe that he really does derive a lot of personal fulfillment from writing and from publishing these books. And I think he does have a sincere desire to even possibly solve this crime that has yeah. not yet been solved by the police. And so I, I also felt sympathetic to him and I felt his frustration with his wife kind of losing her tolerance for this situation. And I mm-hmm. could kind of feel his desperation. It's like, I just, I just want to do this. Like, and when she says like your children are your, he's like, this could be my legacy. And he, and she says, your children are your legacy. Well, it's not unreasonable to think that he could have both, you know, yeah. but with a healthier dynamic with his family, mm-hmm. I think would be desirable. So what well, were you going to say, John? I'm sorry. He, he manipulates his wife throughout the movie. And then yeah, finally, when they had that big argument is that that's when he comes clean about, well, no, the murder didn't yeah. happen in the house. It happened in the backyard. And she's like, what the fuck? Dude, are yeah. you serious? You like, let's not mention house her. down the road from the yeah, two yeah, houses. Like, down the technicalities. Are, are like, you sorry. fucking serious? Are you in the, the actual, question. you could have said that at the beginning. Yeah, so I, I don't think he makes notes. all the right choices, no, but I can relate to his I can relate to his drive for like I, I, you think he's irredeemable as a character. 
I, I, I get Some that as, as far as wanting to be a success. And I think he does redeem himself at the end of the movie. He says, let's get the fuck out, get yeah. the kids right now. Let's go. And then I he finds so out too. something later. And like Jacqueline said, he is genuinely trying to solve this crime. And as well as, like you said, his desperation is like he's trying to make ends meet. He's trying to provide for his family and he wants yeah. to write a fucking successful book so yeah. that he, he, he can do that, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's wrong to want to have a legacy of some kind of work that you created. Mm-hmm. Right. In addition to the legacy of your family, I think, you know, a lot of people want that. So, no, I, I, I agree with that. But it's also it's a 50 50 with him is that he wants the success and and be able to live comfortably with his family. But he wants the adulation of being famous. Yeah, no, that, that I think is where you're kind of edging into like unhealthy, you know, desires. Agreed. And, and yeah. I think that, it, you know, if you're, if you're going to pursue th- that type of work, it's like, you have to do so without deceiving your family, compromising your family's safety. Now, I, I believe that he legitimately didn't think he was actually jeopardizing their safety. Like, I think rational people who like don't believe in ghosts and stuff would recognize like, there's not actually any danger of living here, but we're in a horror movie. So of course there is, but right. But I, I disagree with that because like uh, the wife actually brought up, you know, it's not going to be like the last time. Is it like something bad happened? They didn't go into any kind of ex- ex- explanation. What happened to them before or, or what, you know, what that, that thing was that it's not going to be like this, but I, you just, it leaves it to your imagination. And I didn't need any kind of explanation of, of what happened before. It just, there, there's a fracture in the family that something mm. did happen that this is not going to be like this. Obviously, this as, was much worse. I took that as possibly they were like driven out of town by people that lived in that town. I don't know. I mean, you, you can assume that. Not but, very liked by police. Yeah. I took it as his drinking spiraled out of control. Too, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah, and the, the only like real evidence that I have for that is that later on when they're fighting, she's like, you've never been this bad before with the drinking. And I don't know if she said even last time or something, but she's like, you've never been this bad before. And so that leads me to believe like whatever's happening now is like a worse version of what happened before. So that's just what I suppose. I don't know for sure, but that's what I suppose. This this, this sounds like a family drama. (laughs) Well, it is. I think it really is partially. That helps with the film. I mean, because all the films, all the home movies are about families, right? And you know, Bagul chooses one child out of that family. I'm going to say that that the deaths in this movie really focused on the worst ways to die. Those oh, videotapes yeah. are so creepy. The worst. No, I, I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Getting lit on fire, drowning, drowning, hanging, mm-hmm. getting lawnmower. cut. Pe- lawnmower getting cut piece by piece. OK, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's just. I while looked at alive, that. Well, I went all the like, oh, just what did you say, Hyderberg? Well, you, most like almost all the times, all the victims were drugged mm-hmm. and just couldn't move, couldn't yeah. fight back, and you know, were just killed in the most horrible ways. Especially it's that terrifying. lawnmower scene, like it just—it's a quick jump scare, but it's so effective. <laughs> so everybody good. that, yeah, everybody always mentions that scene about this movie. Yeah. Oh, the think, lawnmower think, scene. Yeah, oh, okay. I think all the tapes are really well done and effective in how creepy they are like they really create a really good vibe um 
with the way the films look and it's usually dark and there's the usually just kind of the the small light source of the camera itself and so you can't yeah. quite see the whole frame and there's that ominous kind of droning sound of music like in the background photo. yeah I thought the music was perfect with Before each one because so it was all different I mean yeah, every time every time they did a score for it it was just this kind of Oh, you know, just weird ooh, kind of, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just kind of reverb, whatever yeah. it was. I mean, whatever. It wasn't the, melodic at all. It was very no, like yeah. kind of monotone and droning. And I mean, even though it was different, Honest, and sometimes there's I mean, really great percussion behind yeah. it. And but yeah. uh, I think this is a film that really depends on the effectiveness of the tapes just like something like the ring. Like mm. if those don't work, the movie doesn't work. But I really think it works in this film for sure. Yeah. I, and the kills were fantastic. I mean, like we had mentioned at the beginning of the movie, you see the, I guess it would be the most recent family that passed away is that you see in the top, I guess it'd be the right corner is that you see this saw going through this branch and all of a sudden they raise up, you know, and then you find out something later, you know, there's an extended cut in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So- that's that's sort of weird that whole extended cut thing. Yeah. Like, what do you guys think? The rules of Bagul—they're set up pretty well and easy enough for you to understand, I guess. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie's more about the atmosphere than the lore. Like, the lore is sort of given to you more towards the end when you re- when you meet uh, D'Onofrio's character, mm-hmm. and um, you know, as the film progresses, you find out more about it, and at the very end, you find out exactly how it works. But I mean, what do you guys think of the lore and how it works in this film? It's a little weak when you pull it apart. Yeah, I don't I don't think it sets up well. I mean, I think that is a problem of the movie is that you don't get that that the Bagul character eats children or needs a sacrifice. They don't really explain of how Bagul possesses these kids, you know, gets inside, except for like a little excerpt from D'Onofrio at the end of the movie is that he'll kind of take over their body for a blood sacrifice and then eat their souls or whatever. And it's, it's the father who sees Bagul for the first time in one of the films. Yeah. But it's a child always that's taken. So it's odd. We never saw the child actually see Bagul have an interaction with Bagul, but her drawings, you start seeing her drawings and then she sees the ghost. So maybe that's why she was seeing the children maybe the whole time. Well, you saw, you saw when she was laying in bed, yeah, that, that, you know, when there was a scene where you saw all five kids as ghosts, which I thought was a really good scene where he's walking through with the bat as he's getting more and more paranoid trying to protect his family is that you saw these ghosts and the way they were moving in slow motion was like brilliantly shot. I mean, the cinematography of that was awesome because he was in real time, but then you saw these kids like as he's getting ready to turn around, he, they disappear or they run away. Effect. It yeah. was. And you can hear the, the, the sound design of it, uh, of the way, uh, the creak of a board or something like that, mm-hmm. but they were running away in like slow motion, which was really turns, good. Yeah, exactly. It, but they, and they just were gone. miss him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That <laughs> that, but, so but, the yeah, in the daughter's room, she she painted a picture of the girl Heather, I think her name was, or whatever it was, Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie on the tire, but then you like she had painted a picture of Bagul on there, and then you saw the ghost of Stephanie. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was really cool. Very effective. Yeah. So I, in terms of the lore, I don't have any problem accepting the kind of rule that, or the the mythology that Bagul possesses the children and kind of influences them to commit these crimes and then takes their souls and consumes them. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I can just accept that. I mean, that's what we're told and it works like, so I'm, I'm fine with it. 
Where I have a little bit of a problem, though, is the 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 rules that are set up that you discover the the tapes and the projector in the house, and then he waits until you move to a new house, and then kills you there, and then the next family that moves in watches the tapes, and then it follows them to next. So it's like this chain reaction. I get how that works, but for the life of me, I can't fathom why that is a rule. Yeah. Like, why can't Bagul just like seek out a family living in a house and take the exactly. child? Like, why this little game of um, real estate telephone? And the like, although the videotapes like, like work really well for the film, right? They're really fun to watch. Like, not fun, but you know, like they set such a great They're super tone. fun. It doesn't make sense Hilarious. that this ancient like pagan demon is going to use my, like a bit like home movies to, to possess people. Well, I don't what think he, he's using the movies to possess adapted? people. I think that like the movie is what like kind of, um, I don't know, like entrances the viewer yeah. or something, but it's like, it's sort of I mean, the, the, child, the child is the one actually making the film. And so like that, that that's I, fine. I have a theory on that. I have a theory that it's the child before that is actually filming the next because you actually see the kid of the other family that ends up killing their family i my theory no, is the child, uh, no, of the family no, it's the daughter that, of this the video yeah yeah but you it's actually the child see of the her family. i know but you actually see her in the video like like when they're filming it you see the kid that's going to kill the family yeah, they put the video down yeah she puts they, the, they camera put the camera down, down and then down. steps in front of the camera if you watch the second one yeah. they show that how it's done oh each okay. murder is committed by the child in the family i i yeah. no 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 i understand that but i was just oh. thinking like I, I in this first one because it's been a long time since i've seen the second one i i just got the assumption that it was the child be, the, the child of the family before or the ghost of that's holding the camera because you actually mm-hmm. see the child in the video while they're filming it yeah and, and then it's just because it focuses on that child of this is the one that's going to make the next kill yeah but i you only see them in the extended cuts and so that's how you get the reveal that it's oh, actually the child get, doing the killing yeah, that's and, what and i'm I saying think that they always, i think that they always put the camera down and then, like, i'm talking about yeah i'm talking about the pov where you see the family playing together yeah like, i know what like, you're talking like, about like uh, does that make sense yeah you yeah. actually see the kid in Do the pov you? In the second one, you see that, though, the kid's taping his family from the bushes and then he puts the camera down and then he goes and hangs out with the family. Oh, and okay. You see him slip yeah. the poison Boiler. in yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever. We'll just We're have to cover Sinister that. 2 next. Yeah, we don't have to do that. But um, <laughs> hot so, take. I like that movie. It's OK. I watched it like this <laughs> elements of it. I like, but OK, it, I thought I thought you guys were going to f- It pulls the curtain away from Bagul too much for me in that movie. Like it just shows too much. Hmm. It's not as mysterious as this one. <clears throat> and the, the um, officer so-and-so is like the focus. Who's I get very uh, like Dewey vibes from that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like him. No, I it was an it. The newest it. He was. He was the grown up um, kid with asthma, right? Yeah. 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 Um, what's his name? The hypochondriac. Um, yeah. That kid. Um, I can't think of his name for Bill? the life of me. No, Bill was no, 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 no. Um, Eddie. And Eddie. Eddie. Yes. That's Eddie, it. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I'm going back to the lore real quick. Bagul is like this ancient pagan demon, right? So what did he do to entice people back in the day? He didn't have home movies, right? What was it like tablets or fucking like scrolls? Like, well, they show drawings, right? He must adapt it over time and that he's had different means of 
Okay. I think so. That's what I assume. But yeah, so like I mean, you go in your attic back in the day or your your loft in your in your barn and you found like a stack of books and you're like, oh, look at these books. Maybe the yeah. journals. My tablets are terrible. Yeah. Well, the um the children <laughs> themselves did drawings, right? So maybe that yeah, was okay. the only yeah. maybe that's all it was. I, I I don't know. But yeah, so it kind of falls apart a little bit. He's and behind on the times a little bit. He he doesn't have like Blu-rays yet or anything. He's still got the uh, well, he's got an eight millimeter camera, which they the Bagul director's movie. cut on Blu-ray. Yeah. The Bob's got to have it. A fan of all eight media. millimeter. I'll give him credit on that. <laughs> What's that, Hydrobert? I said Bagul's a fan of physical media, so I'll give him <laughs> give him a plus for that. He and Bob would be besties. Bob from Straight Chilling <laughs> loves right, his physical media, but go out and get a reel to reel. You're good. Um, but do you do either of you guys have a theory about why this like game of like real estate hopping like why does it have to be that way i mean it just seems like unnecessary like why can't he just pick a family that that was my uh, another problem with it is that that you got info dumped by deputy so-and-so that's why they called them um and that's what it was is like well you didn't realize that the family that was here moved to sacramento and the sacramento family moved to st louis and they you know like you were getting followed and you just you made the timeline move even faster by moving away from this house back to your old house. So, the only thing I can think of is that the ghoul himself is centered in these, you know, devices like the, the home movies. Right. So like yeah. he has to be himself has to be moved with the family in order to strike the next one or whatever. Right. But to them somehow, I guess. I, I, I think that's like, I think that comes nope. as close as you can get to an explanation, yeah. but I, th- I still think it doesn't quite work because then why can't he just stay in that same house? Why does he wait until they move somewhere else? Why doesn't he just stay in the house, kill the family, and then wait for the next family to move in and kill them? Yeah, but how does he get a change of scenery if he does that? <laughs> Obviously, he wants to go from different state to state and see different things, you know? But he it, wants it, to have different seasons. Yeah. I know. It, it just felt hilarious. like the house that they Maybe were he's in. got a winter coat he puts on when he gets to, like, Chicago <laughs> instead of, like, the little jacket that he had on. Wearing a Slipknot face mask. Yeah, <laughs> or he's got, like, a beanie, you know? He wears... Are, he wears, like, a tank know. top and board shorts. Yeah, yeah, he's in South. San Diego. Watch out, John. San Diego. Sorry. <laughs> lose, buddy. <laughs> anyway so that's one of my complaints about this movie is Mr. i think Boogie. like i get how the lore works i just don't understand why some of it has to be as it is a little like, spotty. it seems unnecessary uh, the mr other... boogie idea was boogie idea was actually pretty cool because that's how kids would do it mm-hmm. yeah you know, you know teenage or, or or uh you know nine ten year old kids would be like well he's mr boogie so mm-hmm. i don't know his real name but this guy is like affecting me i actually really like the end scene where the daughter draws her thing <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so, uh, i like the yeah. ending of this film uh, yeah. jack what were you gonna say though um i don't oh yes so this is kind of off topic you guys have kind of gone in a different direction but i just wanted to say real quick that my other complaint about this movie i really only have the two like the lore is kind of like why and then the other one is i think this movie is visually like too dark There are times when I I find it hard to discern what's going on. And I find it really, really unbelievable that he doesn't just turn the lights on. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, there's always some of that, I think, in any movie where there's something supernatural going on in a house. Like, you kind of have to have it dark. But I think it needed just a little more light or he needed to have, you know, a a more powerful flashlight or something. But seriously, for like 90% of the night scenes, he's just like creeping around the house without a single light on. And it's like, you can barely see anything. He doesn't want to wake up his family. He's he's the writer who's working late at night 
it's well, it's I, a little it's I, a little much i, I, I like I, I need at least a little flashlight when, or something when the generator the lights go off that one scene makes sense he goes in the attic and finds yeah. the snake like yeah, yeah they they explain that away of the power yeah. going out or whatever but like but the I'm, whole movie yeah exactly yeah, right. right i i did think there was a really dope scene though where where you know things are start shit starting to hit the fan and he's like on the couch that dissolved scene of where the sun comes up was so good i mean there was a lot of cinematography in here that looked really good the eight millimeter shots um the beginning scene when they first get to that house you know that 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 pan back scene and where they kind of just like like creep in as they're moving into the house i thought that was really good there was a lot of great cinematography in here agreed very like artistic i think yeah i mean i don't know anything about cinematography but it seemed artistic and really like visually pleasing to me yeah when the power went out i like the scene where officer so-and-so comes to investigate because um ethan hawks ellison fell through the uh, attic and busted his leg and then he's like show me the hole so they go to look at it and he's like you heard footsteps and he's like yeah i found a snake up there and he's like (laughs) snakes don't have feet so (laughs) the snake he's like could have been a scorpion but uh they're they have feet but it wouldn't have been loud enough and i'm just like Guys, I got Dewey vibes like so crazy from that. I know. But is, was, that, was that a plus or a minus for you? Like, no, did you appreciate fun. that or did it break? Yeah, the, I mean, I, the I like Dewey. I, I think the thing was, is I thought Officer so-and-so actually had a pretty good character building. Yeah, he's so enthusiastic because, to work well, with. Well, that yeah. and he explained, you know what? I took criminology. I took this. I understand this stuff. You know, you yeah, think he's not I'm a some, dope. Yeah, you think of some dipshit that doesn't understand these things, you know. But then he has an info dump at the end. Is like, well, you go from house to house, and all of a sudden, Agul is going to kick your ass, and whatever, you know. And he's the focal point of the second movie. Yeah, oh, I, I like him as a character in this, and and I like I this actor. Too. I think he kind of he reminded me of like a young Bruce Campbell a little bit. Okay, but mm-hmm. um. I think like he he initially gives off a vibe that he might be a little goofy, but mm-hmm. I think he proves himself. Like he comes through, he he gets the job done that that he's been asked to do, and he shows himself to be like a, a capable and intelligent person. Yeah. And so, um, I, I I like him as a little bit of comic relief. This is like a, a bleak movie that gets really dark. Um, and so I I appreciate having that little bit of of levity, like snake feet. I agree. I agree. I, I I thought the levity was actually just landed just perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I thought Not this, too much. I thought this movie was gory without being gory, you know, because it left like it up to your imagination yeah. of what you were thinking. And like I mentioned before, I think this is the these are the worst ways to die, whether you're getting burned or you're drowned yeah. or you're getting hung or your the throat cut or getting chopped into pieces. It was it was like 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 it, you just left. It, it was so vivid in my mind and they didn't show it right. i mean they it, it was like absolutely a cut right scene. Mm-hmm. yeah like the, the scene with the car yeah, yeah exactly and it works perfectly it leaves it all to your imagination mm-hmm. like the car you see the family bound and gagged they're in the car and yeah. then you just see the car from afar and you see the flames get tossed on it and that's it like you don't need to see them mm-hmm. t- you know arriving and like oh god we're in fire like you know that they're fucking dying in there right. even yeah. in the end where ethan hawk's um ellison's family dies you don't see them killed, but you see the drawing of them chopped up in the drawing. And you're just like, oh, my God. And you saw the daughter with the blood on her hands yeah. and the blood on her feet as a, a yeah. ghoul picked her up and go, went into the, the, you know, the video thing. Mm-hmm. You know, did you notice the other five kids like ran off as soon as they saw him behind her? 
Like mm-hmm. they, they all ran off into the rooms or wherever it was. Is that, you know, and then all of a sudden she's in the screen or whatever. So I, do you guys like, oh, go ahead, Jack. No, go ahead. Do you guys, how do you guys like the ending? I actually kind of loved it. I actually kind of thought it was just, and then they give you that like cute little jump scare at the very I end. I don't like that. I don't like I, it either. I wish it, that was unnecessary. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I just, they, they I, gave, gave me a I little like the jump, jump scare you got in it. the attic when it felt necessary because right. it works there. But no, yeah, I don't like that last little final movement. Yeah, like, I, it's just I thought, to get a little theater jump. I, I thought it was cute. I didn't, I wasn't like, oh my God, you know. If it was one of the kids, maybe it would have worked better than, I don't know. Either, I don't, it's unnecessary. Well, I, th- I yeah. think it was a little kiss to the audience and saying, hey, sequel's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the but like the real ending itself with um, the daughter killing the family and they're just like the next victims. I think it's it's inevitable. Like it makes sense in the storyline. I don't think that I and frankly, like the movie gives me a feeling of bleakness all the way throughout. And so I feel like a happy ending, like if they had figured out some way to defeat Bagul yeah. or whatever, I think it would have rung false. Um, you think when just they changed when they the tone of the movie. You yeah. think when he finally decides to move them, you're like, all right, he finally made the right decision. But then, yeah, you find out that it's going to still come in after you. That's what doomed him. Like, they should have just stayed put. Yeah. Um, and so I think that subverts kind of the usual haunted house thing, because whenever there's weird stuff happening in a house, what do we always think as audience members? Move, like get, get out, of out of there. And so he does the thing that we always want our mm-hmm. movie characters to do. And that's what fucks everybody up so well i just thought about the ending of poltergeist sorry to ruin it for if you've never seen poltergeist Poltergeist. yeah so so it's like like the tv's like the entity or 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 the gateway of this evil entity and at the end of poltergeist they go to a hotel room and they push the tv out of the room and it's like hey you're fucking done all right (laughs) the um like when he gets to the new place and he goes in the attic and the fucking box of movies is there after he's burned them already. Like that scene, just like, bro, the fuck is going on? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love that. I mean, that's, I feel like that's kind of a, a trope that's used nowadays, like the scary thing that must be destroyed, but then it somehow survives. Like, and yeah, well, I was about to say something that I don't want to spoil because we're going to cover it next month. But um, uh, I think that goes back to even like the changeling. Have you guys seen the changeling? I think it's like 1980 starring George, oh, George Scott. E. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So I, he, I there's this child dies and the kid had like a red ball and it reminds him yeah. of his kid. So he throws it in the river and then he goes home and he hears this stairs. like thumping noise and it's like bouncing down the balls bouncing down the stairs. So mm-hmm. I love that kind of thing. We're like, the yeah. thing that shouldn't be there is still there somehow. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I love those kind of moments. Uh, can I bring up a, a different topic for a minute? Sure. I think that something that this film is exploring is sort of the ethics of a person making their living by writing or producing other art or product about real life tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost like ex- exploitation or something. Well, that's that's sort of my question. Is like, it, is it exploitation? Is it sometimes <laughs> exploitive? Is it sometimes. sometimes not? And and. I think this film is sort of exploring those questions and I think it's supposed to kind of walk the line between like exploitive and, and sincere. Well, I, 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 I love that question. I mean, that's a fantastic question because to me, it's just how you interpret the movie, you know, is he trying to do this for fame and fortune, which would be exploitation, or is he doing this in the most sincere form of, 
of, I really care about what's going on, you know, and you get both sides from him is that, yeah. that you feel that, you know, yes, he has some sincerity of like, where is this missing girl? You know, it, she's never been found. The cop at the beginning of the movie or the sheriff at the beginning of the movie says, no, she's dead. He, he goes, no, she's missing. So, you know, I, I guess it's how you interpret it. I mean, to me, Ethan Hawke actually seemed like a very sincere guy at the very end because when shit hit the fan, he's like, no, let's get out of here. Let's go home. And, you know, his daughter said something very sweet. It's like real home. And he's like, yeah, let's go. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're done. And, and he tells his wife, I'm not doing this book. But then again, you know, he gets these emails. He could have just deleted them and he ends up talking to the professor. So it's just like, you know, where's this guy's head at? So yeah. I, I think it was both. I mean, it was really how you interpret the, the movie. Yeah. And so I think because of all those things you just said, I think for him, that ethical line is sort of blurred. I yeah. think it's like it, he's in kind of a gray area that may or may not be like exploitive of these people. And I think what the film is trying to remind us is and what the sheriff is trying to remind him is that there are real people behind these stories yep. and there's a real town that has suffered and is grieving um, due to the, the events of this tragedy. And just like in every town that this has happened in. And so I think on a, on a wider level, it's like a reminder that, that there's a very fine line to walk when you're creating art or, or anything that's born out of a tragedy like this. Right. Yeah, definitely. Because he moves into these towns, he writes this book, and then he leaves. And then Right. And that's know. brought that's brought up as well is that they, they traveled to all these towns, you know, oh, we're at this different house or this different city yeah. that 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 you know that, that you're trying to create this story, you know, which is selfish of him. Why don't you just settle down? And and you know, he keeps bringing up throughout the movie, you know, am I gonna if am I going to edit college books or am I going to be a teacher or whatever like it, there's nothing wrong with that you know that's what yeah. his wife wants for for him however she's very supportive of him and and you know it's like okay uh, this is what you want you know she didn't give a shit about the fame and fortune he did she just gave a shit about him and correct the and, the and the family yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so it's, that's yeah, I mean I don't I don't feel like he's out to exploit but obviously, and you know, that sort of career, obviously there is some of that. I mean, you're writing about something that happened to somebody, something awful. You're doing it to make a profit. Right. And yes, he's possibly helping solve a crime, which I think he does enjoy, you know, the, that aspect, you know, the justice, let's say. Yeah, but nobody was ever caught. I mean, that's the other side of the story is that nobody was ever caught. It, was it sounds just... like Kentucky blood was. Like no, some, it, like it, it, it sounds like it, there, there was it something sounds like the, the, the police were so poor at their job that the, uh, the killer allegedly that was the killer got away because the, the police were incompetent at what they were doing. That's that's the vibe I got from the Kentucky yeah. blood. Same conversation. here. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's for sure. Um, do you have you guys ever do you guys read any true crime? No. I don't read. I never learned to read. No, I'm just kidding. I did. Uh, <laughs> it's never too late to learn to read. Okay. Cut above. It's half the battle. I watch G.I. Joe. <laughs> Mind um, is a horrible thing to waste. I, th I think when you really come down to it, if you're, if you're selling what you create, then I think even despite having noble intentions, I think 
to a certain degree, it's it's impossible to d- to divorce the like purity of mm-hmm. of whatever you're doing from the fact that you are profiting from this. Like nobody's gonna yeah. write a book about it and then just like let it sit on their shelf for the rest of their lives. Like it, he's trying to sell a book, right? Yeah. And so to I think to a certain extent, it's always at least a little bit exploitive. I don't know that it cannot be if you're if you're trying to sell something. And so sense. but that's not to say that you can't also have pure and decent intentions as well. So I think it's just it's kind of a gray area and then I think then it's kind of taking it a step further to say well what are the ethics of consuming these things? Right. Well here's I want to bring something up that we didn't talk about is that that he put a lot of focus on his daughter um she was very artistic uh mm-hmm. great painter like her he even brought it up during the movie is okay you don't you don't paint anywhere around the house you can paint in your room so she he encouraged her creativity right mm-hmm. and and made a comment your, your paintings are getting really really good just keep it up what about the sun the sun did a drawing on a i guess a chalkboard and permanent ink of the four people that had passed away at that house he just kind of poo-pooed it like he was just a, his, you know, he was just a teenage kid acting out. Well, the mom was like pissed. The mom was like, what's going on here? You know, and it's just like, you know, she's acting like a normal parent would. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the son had a lot of issues, too, as, as he did, from the two he, kids. He had, like he had he, night terrors. Night terrors. He would end up in a that fucking box scene. Oh, my God. Think, that yeah. was awesome. Like the way he just came out backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're like, you're sure that there's something evil in that box. Like, what the fuck is in there? And it moved. What's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that was such a, I think that was such a good bait and switch because based on, you know, our expectations as horror movie viewers, we're expecting something really fucked up to be in that box. And then it's, it's something harmless, but the way it plays out is so creepy and terrifying. Like, the the bait and switch of, just, you think he, he arches back almost like the the spider walk from Exorcist? I, mean, I was, was just gonna say that. Yeah, it, I feel like yeah, that was maybe the inspired. way he yeah. did that. It was the like film also makes you kind of think that like he's the one being enticed by Vagul, but it turns out it's not him, right? Because he's got these night terrors. He's bugging out in the box. He's outside in the bushes later on. But the thing I picked up on the first time I watched it was that he's being a he's being like warded off from the house. Yeah. Like like I'm afraid of this thing. Where the daughter was. Just seeing right. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I kind of picked that up the first time I watched it, but the second time I really got that. And you know, he's he's out there just in his pajamas, like sitting out in the bushes, cold, and he's just you know, the look on his face like a ghost, which was a pretty dope scene when the when the dog came out and the five kids are in the background and kind of yeah. lit up the way they lit that, that looked pretty good. And that's yeah. really what the dog was fucking growling at, not him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. He just didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So it's like both of the kids exhibit some weird behavior. And so I think that you're kind of like waiting to, you're kind of thinking that either one of them or maybe both of them are, you know, having some effects from this thing. And so I think it's, it's a little bit of a nice like surprise when it turns out that the daughter is the one who's being Mm -hmm. enticed because you feel like it could go either way. I think there are a lot of nice little surprises, like subverting expectations. Like it's the daughter and not the son it's the son who's in the box and not something, you know, evil. And I think there's a lot of nice little surprises here that, uh, that defy our expectations a little bit. 
Yeah, maybe it was more of like him being in the box that he wants to move away rather than, you know, being in there is like, oh, no, let's move. Let's get back into the moving boxes and get out of here. I just pack me up, that. dad. <laughs> pack me up. Let's go. <laughs> and then the metaphor for his knows. childhood and how fun to play in boxes is. And he's <laughs> yeah. what are you a losing cat? his childhood because of his father's <laughs> work. Yeah. All right. Well, any other major points that you guys want to talk about before we give our ratings here? Uh, I have one thing just that mm-hmm. I like about this film. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for like writers in the plots of horror movies. Right. You got this, The Shining, Secret Window, In the Mouth of Madness, Misery. All those films just they're really I don't know. There's really interesting. There's always a pretty interesting plot based around like a writer trying to write a novel in horror or doing something, doing an investigation. It just sort of leads to a really cool um, plot for me. In most, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. And I, I, I wonder what it is that makes that so appealing. Yeah. Maybe that a writer is maybe like trained, like is trained to be more observant True. and look for the truth in things. I don't know, but I, I agree with you. Maybe they represent us, the audience really well. That's, and, and I was going to say that is that, that, that there are a lot of horror movies out there that feel like what we call a popcorn horror movie. This feels more grounded. This feels more realistic. This feels more relatable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, snakes don't have feet just so you guys <laughs> thank you i learned a new motherfucking fact today. snakes in the motherfucking attic all right yeah <laughs> oh by the way i don't did we mention rob zombie yet today <laughs> rob zombie you did oh there we go <laughs> you did. i bet he likes this movie yeah yeah Devil man. all right yeah. all right hydroberg you want to start us off with your rating sure uh so I think the the premise of this film, I, it's pretty fantastic to me. I, I like, like I just said, I like the whole um, like author writing a book um, vibe. I like the home movies. Um, just like, you know, it's like a family drama a little bit. I, I like all that. It works really well for the film. It's, you know, basically a single location movie. And it's just like, it's dark and atmospheric, a little too dark, like you said. But um, I don't know. It's just scary. Uh, I think the score and sound design are like really well done in this movie. Like they set the tone like super good, like right from the beginning uh, with the film grain and that that home movie aspect in the beginning. And then you get the just the noises that you hear during all the like we said, we touched on on all the home movies, Um, just like and then when he's in the house, it's dark, but there's like bump in the night type of noises you always hear. And you're just like, what the fuck was that? I don't know. It works really good for me. Um, I think there's some genuine scares too in this film. Like none of them seem that cheap. Uh, there's like a jump scare too that it's like a little, you know, when Bagul sticks his head out is, you know, okay. Like I like the scene we didn't touch on, but where where um, he falls through the the ceiling and then he looks at the videotape later because he had his phone out and he's recording and you see like the little children's hands, like real quick flash up, like they were pulling them down and like just like he gets bugged out from that scene. And I think that works too for the audience. Like it's definitely creepy as hell. And I also think the, uh, I think the ending hits really well for this film. For me, I didn't see it coming the first time. Like, yeah, you know that there's a kid that gets enticed by Bagul, but you just don't think it's going to happen to this family. Cause you do, you think, Oh, he moved away. He beat Bagul, you know? And then you find out no. And then when his daughter ends up killing him, you think maybe officer so-and-so is going to break through the door and stop her from killing the family. But, doesn't know 
but Ghoul wins and he takes Ashley and that's it. And so you're just left with that ending and you're just like, fuck, that hits. Uh, my cons, I we, we talked about it before, but um, but Ghoul's, I don't know, I just felt like his look sort of with like his little jacket and his his shirt and tie and not, not, not tie, but he had like a dress shirt on, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's used very effectively in most of the scenes, so it doesn't really bother me. The sequel does, though. Like, he's out in the forefront in the sequel, and it just looks too generic to me to be that scary. Um, I do like the, the the trivia that you left, though, for how he was um, created, though. I think that's interesting. Uh, and just, like, some of the lore, like we talked about, just, it, I don't know, it doesn't make as much sense when you really pick at it. Um you know, his use of the home movies just seems a little weird to me. Um, why the, Why does he leave a director's cut so you can watch it later? Just so what he can hit you later. Like, ha, ah! you know, you didn't see this part. You didn't see this coming. I don't know. It just seems a little weird. And Ethan, sort of I like, figured out how to like, splice together eight millimeters. He suddenly became <laughs> yeah, like, a professional why would he go film out of editor? His way? Oh, kudos to Ethan <laughs> Hawke's character for learning how to do that so quickly, by the way. He became like a film buff and like he did. Two minutes. Well, beyond that, though, it's like, would a 40-something man in the year 2012 even know how to run a film projector? I doubt. Uh, I would. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, you're the most interesting well, okay. man in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the director's cut thing is a little weird for me, but um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's really all my gripes for the film. I really like this movie. So with that said, I am going to give Sinister uh, 7.5 out of 10 home movies. All right. 7 out of 10 home. 7.5. Seven, sorry, 7.5 out of 10 home movies. Cool. John, how many home movies are you giving Sinister? Well, I think all about it. Yeah, I, I think Heidelberg hit on like all the wonderful things about this. You know, I, I want to reiterate, reiterate the cinematography and the score were fantastic. I agree with you, Jacqueline. I think it was a little dark at times, but I, I, I kind of like the mood, the atmosphere of that. You know, Lord didn't bother me as much. Um, I did think it was cute the way he popped his head in at the end. It's like, hey, sequel. Um, that was fine. I mean, that, that that was it didn't take me out of the movie because it, it was at the very end. You know, you really the first time you see this movie, you do not see the end coming. Um, and it's just amazing. I the biggest highlight for me is that this movie was gory as fuck without being gory. Yeah. It left it. I'm always a sucker for a psychological what happens off screen or, or, or leaving it to your imagination is always the best kind of horror movie is because you I think you can create more uh, sinister pardon the pun sinisterness to to a movie if it's left to your imagination so i really really appreciated that um you know again i'm not gonna hit on all the rest of the points that hydroberg did but man i'm gonna give this um i'm sitting on a i'm gonna stick with this eight out of ten home movies for sinister nice all right another uh, high score eight yeah, out of ten Got how it. about you jacqueline yeah, I, I, I really like this movie. I think that it does a lot of things so well. And the only two gripes that I mentioned, uh, you know, the darkness of it, it's, I think, a little extreme. And the sort of why aspect of the lore, like not, not the lore, but like the physical mechanics by which this curse functions. I think it's kind of like, well, why? What's the point? 
those I think are relatively minor complaints when weighed against the strong points of the film, which I agree with everything you guys pointed out. <clears throat> I think it's it's a film that follows a lot of familiar beats that we come to expect from a movie with a haunted house or some kind of curse or like a supernatural possession, you know, overtaking children or whatever. Like we've all seen tons of those movies and there's familiar beats like, oh, a weird occurrence in the house. There's a weird noise in the attic. The kids are acting weird. Oh, we have to consult with some kind of expert on the occult and he's going to illuminate why this is happening or give us some kind of background information like that's not unique but I think this film does a really nice job of taking those things and making them feel fresh um, the use of the the videotapes that we see um, we talked about how they look grainy and the music that plays behind them is really effective and eerie and add to that the fact that we don't there's no like soundtrack to the film mm. that we hear what's actually happening in the film it's like the film itself is silent and the i think the music that we're hearing is like superimposed over that yeah. but it's like we're not hearing any screaming we're not hearing the splash of the water when the lawn chairs are dragged into the pool somehow that silence behind the action is very unsettling to me similar to i mentioned the ring before that weird videotape in the ring like we're not hearing any sounds that correspond with the the bizarre things that we're seeing in the tape. We hear this kind of high pitched whining noise or whatever, but we're not hearing like the ladder clattering on the floor. So for some reason, I, I find that to be a really effective technique. Um, I think the acting is so outstanding with all the characters, both the main characters, especially Ethan Hawke, who we've already applauded you know extensively but also the supporting cast as well i love fred thompson as the sheriff he's like yeah. very com convincing as this like curmudgeonly sort of hostile law enforcement guy but who also has like a valid reason for wanting to protect the town and the people in it from being like kind of used as he sees it by this you know hack writer um and so those kinds of things i think make this the film really succeed i think they make it unique i think they make it feel kind of fresh and ultimately make it like a really memorable film it's a film that makes me a little paranoid when i watch it late at night and then turn out the lights and i'm like you know going to bed alone so uh it sticks in my memory i think it's more successful than the majority of movies that try to create the same kind of story and so for all those reasons i give this film eight out of ten home movies yeah. Well done, Hydraberg. Nicely picked on this one. Yeah, I'm really glad you chose it. Yeah, me too. All right. That, very nice. Do we have any tr more trivia with this one? Yeah, I've got a few other little things. Um, let's see here. Grab my my telephone here. Oh, okay. So I'm going to start off with a bang on this trivia. Well, let's do it. Oh boy. Slip so down. the. The, no. the family that was hanged on a tree in the in the first videotape that opens the film. Yeah. They were all played by stuntmen. However, yeah. when the scene was being filmed, the stunt coordinator botched the preparations for that scene. And the actors were legitimately hanged and choked. And oh, luckily no. they were able to like safely remove them from the situation. Oh, but no. They, I mean, they were in real danger and the coordinator was obviously fired. 
Um, but that, I mean, that kind of makes me feel a little sick. <laughs> That's crazy. Imagine they died on set. That would have been like so eerie for this film. Well, don't I think bring it I don't up. know if they would have revealed those. No. I don't think they would have released yeah, I don't the know. film. Yeah, I don't know. Some, something recently happened like that, and it's just that that's yeah. that's complete. Uh, that's unacceptable. I mean, you, you put somebody in that much. It's supposed to be for in, entertainment. It's like wrestling. You know, they're not really killing each other, punching the, each other in the face. Wait, but wrestling's they, not real. Well, let's go back to the movie. No, I. Real <laughs> duh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's like that's just such a transgression and like a betrayal of trust. Like stunt people have to put so much trust in the coordinators and the people who set yeah. this up that to to fail like that is just so just unforgivable. I mean, it's outrageous. It is sickening. I, I agree with that. I think that's that that is a very disgusting like oversight on that person's uh, yeah, absolutely fired, sued, whatever. <laughs> yeah, unacceptable. Yeah. Uh okay. There is actually as you as you guys mentioned, there's very little gore in this movie, almost no cursing, and there's no sex or nudity in it. Filmmakers were trying to get a PG-13 rating on this. So they were really kind of kind of keeping everything under control, but it still got a rating because of the disturbing content. And yes. so uh, I guess I'm glad were- it stayed R. I mean, it, again, I, I think with the adult content, it really, yeah, I don't think it held up as a as a PG-13 movie. I mean, I'm trying to imagine like if I had a 13 year old child, would this be an acceptable movie for them to see? And I, I don't think that I would personally allow my 13 year old to watch that. I don't have a 13 year old, but I saw the exorcist when I was like 10. (laughs) There's not a lot of gore in that either. It was the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of pea soup. Pea soup. That was a lot of pea soup, but yeah. So I, I think an R rating is appropriate for this film, but I just think it's interesting that they were going for the PG thirteen and just didn't didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I think those home movies probably get at the R rating, right? I would imagine so. Yeah, those are like the most disturbing parts of this film. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So speaking of which, Ethan Hawke had not seen the Super Eight films that they made until they were actually shooting the film. So his reactions oh, wow. are authentic nice so i think that's a great choice to they're do like in, in a situation films, like so that they're so yeah. like icky you can see that on his face too so that's it, that's it, it did seem genuine in most of those scenes where he's just like turning away and he's just yeah. like, like like literally like tears are building it. up in his eyes because i know he has kids and he's just sitting there like no i can't Ugh. i mean he looks legitimately horrified i mean i think he's he a does. great actor but I, yeah. I think some of that reaction is very real yeah. so i think that's that was a pretty smart technique uh, according, according, according to the co-writer C. Robert Cargill, Bagul was originally intended to look more like Johnny Depp's character in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the <laughs> Tim Burton remake of this, um, to kind of give the idea that he was like luring children mm-hmm. to him. And that idea was abandoned because they thought it would play, off, play as like silly, which I totally agree with. So I'm really glad that they uh, didn't go down that path. <laughs> Well, he comes out, he's like, Oompa Loompa, here comes Bagul. Big stove top hat with a cane. (laughs) He eats children like he eats candy. (laughs) Give me some candy. I'm crazy stove top guy. Sorry, Adam Sandler. But yeah, I agree that that would have been silly and not scary enough. So I, I think that that was a wise choice. Uh, Here's a little tidbit that you guys may remember reading about a year or two ago. In 
2020, Forbes magazine conducted a study, the Mm -hmm. Science of Scare Project, where the heart rate of viewers were monitored while they watched a number of horror films. I read one stat that said 35. I read one stat that said 50. I don't remember exactly what it was. I remember that. But if you if you judge scariness solely by the heart rate of the viewers of the film, this film had the highest spike in heart rate among its collective audience. And so it was sort of concluded that this was the scariest film ever. So now I think that obviously there's a lot of subjectivity here. Like, first of all, who is choosing these films, you know, that that are being screened? Uh, is heart rate really the only factor that we should, should be judging by, you know, scariness? A lot of questions there, but I think it's an interesting fact, nonetheless, that this movie caused the highest heart rate spikes in its viewers. I can understand that. I mean, it did have some, like like Heidelberg said, is a, some really effective jump scares in there, and they weren't cheap, you know, but I believe in that same study that The Shining was like number two or number three or something like that, and it's just like, that didn't elevate my heart rate. It's just more of that kind of like enjoyment of the psychological aspect that, because it didn't have those jump scares. It's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> well, so I think you really hit on something there, John, which is that like, I think when it comes to like heart rate, what's going to get that up is jump scares, Correct. not just a general sense of dread or being disturbed or whatever. And so I think that's kind of a, one of many flaws in this yeah. study, which is like, it really has to depend just on jump scares. I wonder so, if the whole movie's got people really riled up. Yeah, not, I don't know. I'm just saying it's subjective. I'm not. I'm not saying that this this is not a scary movie. No, I'm just yeah. saying that like it's yeah. it's it depends on a lot of well, subjective factors. I feel like there's a ton of jump scares in this movie that it would get number one. Well, I mean, I, like I think the lawnmower. Back. Yeah, that's. Sorry. But it's the like lawnmower. it doesn't it doesn't say like you know sustained heart rate. It's like yeah. If it, I mean, if it even has one moment that causes a heart rate spike yeah, higher than any other, then yeah, yeah. So it says it, it it the the heart rate spiked at 130, 131 beats per minute. I don't know if that means in just one individual or on average amongst all the viewers. I don't know, but somebody that's um, a wussy, no, <laughs> you wussy. So anyway, I just think that's it's an interesting point. Like you can sort of advertise this movie as being like oh the scariest movie ever according to forbes magazine of all time according yeah. to forbes magazine because forbes magazine knows horror <laughs> yeah that's what they're known for <laughs> uh oh here's an interesting little tidbit so the screenwriter c robert cargill revealed that the name of ethan hawk's character ellison oswald was inspired by the writer harlan ellison i don't know if you guys hmm. are familiar with him i think he writes crime like but i think he yeah, writes fiction crime fiction and then also comedian Patton oswald who is known to be a horror movie buff so not oswald interesting Cobblepot, uh, the penguin what who's that did you know did you know his wife or, or the Patton oswald's wife who passed away like a couple of years ago was actually yeah. a uh what was it the real crime podcaster mm-hmm. and so, journalist yeah. yeah like a crime didn't she yeah. Yeah, she solved like a major case. crime. There's she a did. there's a documentary about that on is it Netflix or Amazon? I don't know. But yeah, yeah there's a documentary like about her solving this crime. Yeah. So interesting. And so That's I just cool. thought that was kind of a funny, funny uh, you know, story behind that, like named after Harlan Ellison and Patton Oswald of all people. But nice hey, little nod to Patton him. though. Good for him. He's he, he's awesome. He's funny. I love him. I think his mm-hmm. comedy is great. I like to see him in anything. Uh 
that this movie was inspired by a nightmare that the writer had after watching <laughs> The Ring. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. he saw The Ring, and then the next night he had a nightmare that he found a, a, a film reel in his attic of people being hanged and wrote a whole movie around it. So nice. that's kind of where the idea came from. Let's see. Anything else interesting? Nope, nope, nope. That's pretty Pat much Noswell. it. That's all the interesting stuff. Let's end on Patton Oswalt. There we go. Patton Oswalt. There we go. So uh, next month, Jacqueline, uh, we're doing something kind of special. Huh? They, you want to you want to explain what we're going to be doing for the podcast next month since it's February? Sure. So February is Women in Horror Month. And so for each week in February, we will be choosing a film directed by a female director. And let's see, next week is John's pick. So, John, which female-directed film will we be watching? I believe it's from 2014, maybe? I think that's 15. right. Yes. 15. 14, 14, 14, I think. 14. Yeah. We are going to watch The Babadook. Babadook. And then, and then what I'd like to do with that is um, we've got to complete the trifecta because yes. we have all come together because of another podcast called called straight chilling podcast and a guy that we have not had on yet we're going to bring him on with us to start celebrating women of history month we are bringing on randy we're gonna bring a guy on celebrate women we are we are well he just got married so he understands (laughs) so he's got the female perspective actually that's soju's job he's the female perspective on that but (laughs) yeah but yeah we've had bob on the show we've had soju on the show so it's i think it's only right that we um have the that we complete the trifecta as john said Um, i'm really looking forward to that i find randy to be super analytical and smart and i always Mm -hmm. enjoy hearing his perspective on things so i'm basically just going to shut up and let him talk because i always love to hear his take on things are you going to fangirl like you did last time i am going to fangirl i'm going to fangirl too all right so i I guess it's just going to be me and randy talking huh (laughs) yes i'll I'll be be too in all seriousness jacqueline i i did want to bring up a why we decided to do Women in History Month, and please tell us why. Because well, I think I think it's important to celebrate uh, the the work that female creators do in this genre. It's uh, I think it's it's heading in a good direction. Where I think horror has always kind of been seen as a little bit of a boys' club, mm-hmm. and there's not a long history of tons of female screenwriters and and directors and 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 other creators and so i think it's it's really important to highlight those that have uh had a big impact on the genre i think it's becoming way less of a boys club i as a female have always felt very welcomed in the horror community i'm not a creator but i am a fan and um it's a genre that i think has historically been targeted primarily towards men and uh, but despite that fact i I've always felt like, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot in it for me as well as a woman. So I think it's, I think it's a good thing to, to highlight some, some of that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Also a quick plug, um, our friend, Nicole, who has another podcast called light and shadow horror podcast. She will be doing a special episode to celebrate Women in Horror Month. I will be guest hosting that episode with her. We're going to be talking about 
the most influential women in horror in any capacity. So writers, directors, actors, characters, producers, all kinds of things. So quite a broad topic, but we're going to do our best to cover as much as we can. So be on the lookout for that sometime next month um, during the month of February. Well, congratulations, Jacqueline. Yeah. And do not forget to check out Nicole's, all of her episodes. They're wonderful. She's a fantastic host of the Light Shadow podcast. So there you go. Yeah, it's an excellent podcast. Show. Yeah, it's it's it not it's not strictly a review show. She really gets no. analytical about various important themes in horror. I mean, it can take mm-hmm. all kinds of di- different directions. She also has story time episodes where she will read aloud um, a classic horror short story, which is so enjoyable. She has a great voice. She sets a great mood, and she's really knowledgeable. And so, I I would strongly urge anyone looking for a great horror podcast to listen to Light and Shadow Horror Podcast. Agreed. She never fucking cusses either, too. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love her theme song, too. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. really great. Um, she sure. guest hosted on on our show a few months ago over the malignant. summer on yeah the Malignant yeah. episode. Oh, so yeah. go check out that episode if you haven't yet already, and you can hear her very intelligent thoughts on, that on as well. Here. Oh yeah, she'll she'll definitely be back. Well, I mean, we definitely want her back. We'll we'll see if she acquiesces. No, she's so. coming back. <laughs> Whoa. Anywho, so yeah, next All week right. we're going to be doing uh, oh yeah, Babadook with Randy Gandy Gilandia. <laughs> you, got, you got your Randu bump ready to go? No, I can just say Randu! <laughs> no, all three, of, all three of us, we should say it when he gets on next week. Randu! Randu. All, in, yeah, mm-hmm. all in unison. Bob does it really good. He does, yeah. yeah. All right, fellas, well I'm looking forward to covering that film with you and with Randy Gandy G Landy next week. So everybody go watch that. And in the meantime, if you are looking to reach out to us to share your thoughts or just say hello, you can email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cut above horror. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review where you can DM me your demonic home videos. <laughs> <laughs> sidetrack me there or you can follow us on facebook a cut above colon horror review on facebook thank you to everybody that has given us a wonderful review on itunes we yes, got a, another five-star review with a wonderful review so keep that up uh we're also getting reviews on spotify so thank you so much or wherever you listen to the podcast thank you we appreciate you and uh continue to listen all right well we'll see everybody here next week and keep it creepy